0: Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Strange Sound. I'm Joe. This is episode 32. I'm recording this on a Saturday, actually, in October. I believe it's October 10th. My goodness me, how the year is passing by and what a year it's been. I don't know. Anyone else having as great a year as I've been having? (laughs) That's a joke, son. Set up when I'm talking to you. Um, yeah, this is uh, this has been quite a year, and it's uh, it's not over. So here we are, October 10th. My goodness me. Uh, standard disclaimer: the opinions expressed on Strange Sound are mine and mine alone. That is, they are the opinion. They are the opinions of Joe, and no one else. No one associated with me. None of my colleagues at work, um, not my employer, not my friends, not my family necessarily, though they may agree with me on some points, and uh, no one else at all. Uh, This podcast is really just me. It's just me recording it in my basement. Uh, Probably not hard to tell. Uh, I have a sort of makeshift recording studio set up down here. This is where we record songs for the band Big Green. Um, And our other podcast, This Is Big Green, which is more or less on hiatus, but we'll be starting up on that again. But less about that and more about strange sound. Um, This is really just my opinion, so um, feel free to push back. More on that later. Anyway, another uh, titanic week here in, in America. What a week. What a week we've had. The president has emerged from his hospital stay apparently superhuman he's been pumped up with drugs and now he's like he's like that serial uh, cartoon character quake who went through the quake machine and uh, came out like a kind of a superhero um he's like the hulk or something uh you know he got mad in the hospital so he turned into the he turned into the hulk or i don't know he's like the thing i don't know the thing in the Hulk, I always always used to get uh, the thing from the Fantastic Four <laughs> and the Hulk I always used to get kind of mixed up about, but hey, you know, it's kind of like that, right? He's he came out of the hospital and you can, I suppose he imagines himself like, uh, you know, his suit sort of torn because his uh, his rock like biceps had burst through the seams and he's like standing there and I'm alive, I'm alive, I'm alive, I've beat COVID, and now I'm a superhero. And you don't have to be afraid, because you can get all the same treatment that I'm getting. Which is uh, hilarious, because he seems to think, well, no, he doesn't think this. But, I mean, he wants us to think that he thinks that, uh, he wants us to believe that we will get the same treatment that he gets. And, of course, we won't. There's no way anyone is going to get anything like the treatment he got in the hospital unless you're, I don't know, Bezos. Uh, and, you know, you owned like a dozen doctors. He had the best socialized medicine in the country. All doctors that are employed by the United States government um, in a United States government facility, medical facility. And I will say that the care was probably excellent. And it didn't cost him a dime. Doesn't that sound great? Now, me, I'm still paying for my orthoscopic operation that I had in in uh, April of this year. Um, I'm still paying something like uh, $500 a month, a little bit more than that, actually, uh, garnishing my own wages so that I can make payments on it. And yes, I am insured. So uh, hats off to the president. Um <laughs> If the New York Times is anywhere close to being right, uh, he paid a hell of a lot less in taxes last year or a couple of years ago than uh, I've paid uh, just over the course of maybe three months paying back my operation that I had in April. And I'm insured. (laughs) And so is he, except he's got actual insurance. You know, they reserve the best for themselves down there. Socialism for them, it's a rugged capitalist individualism for the rest of us, my friends. What a wonderful, wonderful country we live in. Yes. So, um, yeah, so the president is uh, back. Uh, he was up on the balcony today giving a set of remarks to uh, look like a crowd that was assembled by Candace Owens. Um, I think she's calling the movement Blexit, which is her shorthand for uh, black and Latinx exit from the Democratic Party, um, which she considers to be oppressive. Um, and you know, Trump was salting his usual um his usual remarks with uh, references to black and Latinx um individuals and uh you know, saying more or less how they hate socialism. Um, (laughs) Because, of course, Joe Biden is a socialist and apparently Kamala Harris is a communist, along with being a monster. So for those of you out there who were afraid of Bernie Sanders being the nominee because he would be called a socialist, uh, it was pointed out to people before that, yes, uh, they called Barack Obama socialist, which he most assuredly was not. And the obvious fact that they would be uh, denouncing any Democratic nominee as a socialist or even a communist, apparently, um, no matter who they were. Uh, so, you know, you may as well get <laughs> you may as well get what you're paying for, right? <laughs> I mean, if they're going to be calling our our candidate is socialist, then we probably should have had a socialist um, because at least we would get the benefit of having a socialist be elected president, which I personally think would be a great idea. I mean, I I've said this before. I can't think that I'm the only person who thinks this way. I'm sure there's plenty of young people out there who are like, yeah, God, I hope I hope uh, Joe Biden is just a pass through for those socialists. Right. <laughs> and yeah, you know, I mean, from Trump's lips to God's ears, that's all I can say. But uh, that's pretty ridiculous. He gave his, uh, he gave a kind of a Castro like address. Uh, and I'm not, no shade on Castro. Um, I'm sure his speeches were a lot more interesting than this. Uh, Trump gave a kind of a rambling, sort of meandering, um, repetitive speech that he was half reading and then half riffing on, um, it was pretty ridiculous. And he was obviously, I mean, they painted him orange. Uh, they painted his tan on a little bit heavier. Like they've been doing the makeup a little heavy lately because he's, he's obviously been ill and, uh, he just seemed a little, he's off. Right. Um, other Commentators have mentioned this. I will say that, you know, as someone who's been listening to him for years now, much more than I ever wanted to, um, I can tell that he's not on uh, just listening to him. He doesn't sound like he's particularly robust right now. And, you know, he shouldn't be because he had COVID. Now, maybe he got the best care anybody could possibly get. Maybe he got a bunch of experimental drugs that are helping him sort of navigate his way through recovery from the symptoms of COVID, at least the early symptoms of COVID. And you know, maybe he, maybe he feels better than anyone in his uh, physical situation has a right to. But it, that doesn't mean it's not affecting him. This is a really rough virus. It's something desperately to be avoided. And (laughs) regardless of how much rindesivir they've pumped into this dude or steroids or whatever the fuck they're giving him, uh, little Lord fuckleroy, as I like to call Trump, is, um, he's not at 100%. I think that's fairly obvious. And I think if you look at him and you listen to him critically, you'll see what I'm talking about. But that's not, you know, I mean, I'm sure plenty of people will comment on that. Uh, he's, uh, you know, he's lying as usual. They're lying and dissembling. They don't want to own up to the fact that, you know, they probably put him infectious as hell in, in the midst of dozens and dozens of, of, uh, top level, uh, Republican operatives and politicians, um, who were not masked who are not practicing social distancing, particularly at the uh, Amy Coney Barrett um, gathering that they had. And you can tell pretty much everyone there was so overjoyed that there'd been another opening on the Supreme Court and that they were going to get the chance to nominate someone as far to the right as Amy Coney Barrett, um, that they were just, they couldn't contain themselves. I mean, they were just all over each other and having little tete-a-tetes and, you know laughing and just slapping each other on the back and kissing each other and hugging each other and they were just so happy and they couldn't contain themselves. And that turns out to be probably exactly what Fauci described it as, as a super spreader event. Um, they are making, the, the White House is making absolutely no effort to contact Trace. Other people uh, I think there was a press outlet, I forget who it was, maybe it was the Washington Post Um, I don't remember uh, who this was, but they, they went through the trouble of identifying all the people that were sitting in that audience and actually tracing back where they've been and where they've gone since. And there's a potential here for literally thousands of people to be infected with COVID as a result of that one gathering. It's quite possible that thousands of people Will catch COVID because of that gathering, and uh, they don't care. They honestly don't care, and I've said this on my blog. Um, uh, you know, the president um, is careless, and only cares about himself, and um, has so little integrity, and is 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 such a is such a crappy dictatorial leader that he's not even loyal to his own inner circle. So he's like infecting them. He's putting all their lives and their families in danger as well. Um, And I think some of those people are just beginning to realize how how real this thing is. I'm not sure that they have enough marbles to put it together, but (laughs) honestly, he's been doing the same thing to the entire country. That's why I had to kind of give a laugh this week when I heard... When I saw that piece of tape of Mitch McConnell talking about how you know he hasn't been to the White House in weeks because he doesn't think their protocols are safe enough, uh, that they don't rise to the level of the protocols that he's established for the Senate, he thinks it's not safe for him and his aides. And it's like uh, I, I see people almost giving him grudging credit for this. And it's like this is the guy that's facilitating and supporting this president more than anybody else in the national government as he puts everyone else in the country in danger. We're now up past 210,000 deaths because of this COVID crisis. And he's talking about how, oh, well, you know, it's not safe enough for us to go over there. It's not safe enough for, you know, me to go i'm not gonna put my life in danger and the lives of my aides. you know oh how thoughtful how very thoughtful what about the fucking rest of us cracker Um, apologies to uh southerners out there my my apologies but he's uh, mitch is just pissing me off and i'm sure he's pissing you off too if you're listening to this if you're listening to this We'll assume I'm dead. (laughs) Okay. Anyway. uh, So. Anyone see the debate this past week? Anyone? Hands? You in the back. Not all the same hands, please. Let's see some other participants. (laughs) I used to do this with I taught a couple of Zoom classes this past spring. And uh, that was my standard joke. Not very funny. Um... Yeah, I saw it. Uh, Yeah, Pence versus Harris. I have to say, uh, and I've seen this with a lot of debates, pretty much every debate, the ideological ground that these debates um, are contested on is so narrow and so far to the right, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's really just a microcosm of the public discourse um, as put forward by our mainstream media and by our politicians. Um, there's a kind of a straitjacket within which they they operate. Um, and that's reflected in in how the issues are dealt with in this debate and in pretty much any debate. Um, what am I talking about? Well, <laughs> just give it a listen. If you look at the transcript, I think uh, USA Today posted a transcript. I don't think I know because I was just looking at it. Uh, I think it's because their uh, correspondent, Susan Page, was the moderator. Uh, probably the most interesting thing about that uh, transcript is that a lot of <laughs> what Susan Page is saying is thank you Vice President Pence, thank you Vice President Pence, thank you Vice President Pence, Vice President Pence thank you, thank you Vice President Pence uh, because he's uh, constantly running over his time, right? Um, and that's and sh- her way of stopping him was apparently thanking him profusely <laughs> which is Little, you know I, I don't want to honestly I don't want to be hypercritical of these of these moderators but still it's like they have absolutely no control over the situation um so you know they they pretty much let people roll all over them but uh that's that's one thing you'll notice uh, another thing you'll notice is is just so some of the ideological ground that this is being fought on seems uh, very familiar, I'm sure. So I'm mystified as to why someone like um, Kamala Harris would pedal away from support for the Green New Deal. I don't understand this. Um, yes, The uh, Democratic Party platform, the um, environmental and sort of climate change plank of that, of the Biden-Harris platform, is tangentially related to the Green New Deal, but it's certainly nothing as ambitious. Um, So (laughs) I, I don't understand why that's a problem for them. I don't understand why it's a problem for her just to say, yes, I supported it. Yeah, I did. And we had that conversation. It was called the Democratic primary. And we discussed this issue amongst ourselves. We had competing ideas. That's called democracy. And in the end, this is what we settled on. What we settled on is the is the program that we're putting forward now. That is the official program of the Democratic Party. You can read it. You can read all about it on our website at blah, 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 okay? Uh, And and that's where it is. Sure, yeah, I supported the Green New Deal, but I also support this. This is what the Democratic Party has agreed on as the policy moving forward. Now, I don't agree with that, but it seems like that would be an easy thing to say. And they'll be, you know, it's going to be criticized, but still, you're saying... The Democratic Party is a broad coalition, and a lot of ideas were sort of served up in the course of the nominating process. And in the end, you you can pretend that what was hammered out is some kind of a uh, compromise between all those ideas. That's versus what the Republicans are offering, which is basically their platform is whatever Donald Trump says. I mean that's literally true. They don't have a platform. The platform is whatever policies Donald Trump comes up with and pulls out of his ample ass, and that's that's pretty much what their that's what their policy is. That's it, right? Am I missing anything? I'm really not. I don't think so. <laughs> there's that. You know why why w- was uh, Harris running away from that? There's also foreign policy, right? Um, foreign policy is something that it seems like the Biden-Harris ticket is a little reluctant to get into. Um, not entirely absent from their program, but as I've said previously, um, if you look at Joe Biden's website and you search For foreign policy issues, um, you really have to search pretty hard to find any mention of it. Most of it's um, either related to COVID or related to climate change or related to immigration. Um, And it's about, you know, leveraging coalitions and that sort of thing. Which is kind of interesting because Biden was always perceived as being like a foreign policy... um, politician, foreign policy focused politician that used to always be uh, his so-called strength Um, in in, uh, previous campaigns that he was involved in. He tried to like turn that into a strength. I mean, the things that mostly came up during the debate are um, issues about Iran. There was some mention of the Embassy moving to Jerusalem, of course, uh, Harris isn't going to say anything about that. Basically, Pence took credit for destroying the ISIS caliphate and transferring $1.8 billion to Iran in the context of the Iran nuclear deal, um, which he he described Iran as being the leading state sponsor of terrorism in the world. Um, this is all just like all packaged up, right? This issue is, it is so ossified in the public discourse, uh, that there's really no way, there's no simple way to respond to it when you're on a debate stage and you're Kamala Harris, right? There's no, there's no way to sort of unwind that spool, um, that's been wound up since about 1979. This whole thing about the $1.8 billion, and I had friends on Facebook who were not ultra-conservatives or reactionaries who were complaining about this, complaining about the transfer of funds that was sort of built into the deal. This is money that was frozen. It's money that belongs to the Iranian state. It's money that they paid for military gear and other supplies that were never delivered because of the sanctions. That was part of what the deal was. And part of the deal was that they would get money that was transferred in payment for the stuff that they were buying from the United States and from other states. But particularly from the United States, because... The predecessor government, the predecessor regime to the current regime in Iran, was a close U.S. ally. It was the Shah. It was a dictatorship that we installed in 1953, after the overthrow of Mohammad Mossadegh, democratically elected leader in Iran, parliamentarian, overthrown um, by the United States government in 1953, and uh, you know one of one of many overthrows that we were responsible for and installation of a autocratic leader named Riza Pahlavi, the Shah of Iran, um, who, who, uh, ran the country, uh, with an iron fist for 25 years until he was overthrown and, you know, got cancer and came here for treatment. And of course they were not happy about that. Um, and since then, we've been, you know, uh, since the Iranian revolution and the uh, Iran hostage crisis during the Carter administration, um, there's been a confrontation with Iran. And that money was frozen back then. That's the $1.8 billion that he's talking about. So, yeah, you could say, ah, oh, you're giving it to a bunch of terrorists. Yeah, well, that's their money. That's not your money. That's not anyone else's money. That's their money. And as far as them being the leading state sponsor of terrorism, what is your yardstick for that? Seems to me we're the leading state sponsor of terrorism. Look at who we support. We support the Saudis. Who the hell do they support? We support terrorism all around the world. Have done for many years. A terror army in Afghanistan, during the 1980s. We supported Saddam's terror war against Iran in the 1980s. We supported the terrorist army of the Contras in the 1980s, during the Reagan administration particularly, but before that as well. Terror regimes throughout Latin America, Southern Africa, you name it. So that's a joke. But again, this is something that you can't And I think Chomsky pointed this out years ago. This is... When this type of issue is raised in a forum like these things that are called debates, which are not in fact debates, but they're more like sort of dueling press conferences. When this sort of issue is raised, it's almost impossible to back out of this established narrative about say, Iran, or some other official enemy, right? Um, when they're talking about Soleimani later on, um, the killing of Soleimani. I should find the exact wording here because this is this was uh, kind of precious. Oh, yeah, here we go. Pence. I'll use a little bit of my... T- so this is when he was avoiding answering a question. <laughs> he was being asked about Roe v. Wade... You want to see Roe v. Wade overturned, essentially, is what the question was. Pence's answer was, thank you for the question, but I'll use a little bit of my time to respond to that very important key before. huh? The American people deserve to know Qasem Soleimani, the Iranian general, was responsible for the deaths of hundreds of American service members. When the opportunity came, we saw him headed to Baghdad to kill more Americans. President Trump didn't hesitate, and Qasem Soleimani is gone. This is crap. This is total crap crap. Now, what the hell could Kamala Harris say? I don't know. But I'll tell you this. This is an artifact, and I think I've talked about this on on Strange Sound before, but this is an artifact of Bush's war in, in Iraq. This is the way they framed this, because they were trying to gin up another war with Iran, and this is how they did it. We sent our armies into Iraq. There was resistance within Iraq to those armies. We sent um, service members there, regular regular army personnel, regular uh, service members, and we also sent National Guard troops. A lot of the National Guard troops we sent with the same sort of battered and broken down Humvees that they drove around the back roads of Alabama, back home. No decent armor on those vehicles and they were driving around and hitting um, improvised explosive devices with no protection. A lot of those guys got blown up. Whose fault is that? Is that Iran's fault? They blamed Iran because they claimed that the types of IEDs that were being used had to have been built in Iran. And this was pointed out at the time. This was pointed out ad infinitum at the time. The claim that Iran was like Building this or driving this was ridiculous. Iraq was bristling with weapons. Iraq was bristling with raw materials. They had machine shops. They had everything you needed to build these IIDs. They didn't need Iran's help for that. Yeah, a lot of the a lot of the people that were doing the attacks were Shia militia, and they wanted the Americans out, and this is how they were doing it, and that's war. And it's horrible. And those people shouldn't have been there in the first place. And everybody knows it. But of course, it's shifting the blame to Iran. Now, did Iran support those forces? I have no doubt that they did. But what would you do? We invaded countries on both sides of Iran. We've been threatening them for 40 years. We supported Saddam Hussein when he invaded them and killed about 900,000 other people. Put yourself in the shoes of the Iranians for a moment. What the hell would you do? Would you stand there with your arms folded and just watch countries all around you invaded and occupied by the United States? A country that is dedicated to overthrowing you and installing a a quisling regime like they had from 1953 to 1979. That said, there was plenty of resistance in Iraq. They didn't need Iran to push them to push back at us. Iraqis didn't want us there. And yeah, they blew up a lot of our guys. I put that on us. If we don't want our soldiers blown up, we shouldn't send them there in the first place. But again, what is someone going to say in a debate about this? What is Kamala Harris going to say when he raises this point about Suleimani? I mean, the shorthand would be These people are trying to start a war with Iran. I don't know about anybody else, but I don't think that's a good idea. I think we've had enough endless wars in the Middle East. They claim to be against endless wars in the Middle East, but they seem to want to start a war with Iran. They killed one of their top generals. That was a provocation that could easily have led to war. That was a reckless act. And there was no justification for it. But they did it anyway. She could have said that, but she didn't. I mean, quite honestly, I'm not... I know this sounds critical. I'm not a, you know, and I'm not a huge... I'm not a member of the K-Hive, right? I'm not, not a huge fan of Kamala Harris, but she's better than a lot of the other possible picks. But this is... Gotta learn how to talk about this stuff. Somehow, somewhere along the line, we need to start unwinding this thing. We need to start unwinding some of these positions on foreign policy particularly. We have an imperial foreign policy. The tacit sort of default assumption is that we have the right to do whatever we want to do in the world because we have the power to do it. That's not right. That's not where we should be. And if we're basing our prosperity so to speak, which is really just prosperity for a narrow segment of American society. If we're basing that prosperity on running the world and, and, and just telling people what to do and penetrating everyone's economy and sort of extracting as much value out of every country as we possibly can and being militarily dominant in a, in the way that we've been for the last 75 years, um, That doesn't seem like a very good way to conduct ourselves. I think we should start unwinding that, don't you? If you're listening to this podcast, my guess is that you agree with me. But we'll see. It's really hard to say what, you know, what this Democratic ticket is going to be willing to do. Would they be willing to cut the defense budget? Would they be willing to cut back on forward basing all of our all of our troops around the world? Would they be willing to sort of back off on being the the global hegemon that we've been for the last 75 years? I doubt it. They won't do it without being pushed. We've got our work cut out for us. I equate um, unwinding that national security state, that uh, hegemonic imperialist approach that the united states has taken for so many decades i equate that with uh the issue of defunding the police it's similarly fraught isn't it um and it's similarly um it's a very similar issue because we're really talking about taking some of the money that we're throwing at the pentagon and putting it into other things Things that actually benefit us. Now, that's not to say that Pentagon spending doesn't benefit somebody. It most assuredly does. Trump himself has said this. Makes the weapons manufacturers happy, but then he says all kinds of things, doesn't he? A little bit of that slips in. He reminds me of somebody that I knew. (laughs) He reminds me of people that I knew um, as a young person who had, you know, wildly divergent views either far right or far left it just seemed to have no rhyme or reason to them whatsoever that's kind of what trump is trump is like the uber drunk uncle twitter troll and little lord fuck Leroy at the same time he needs to go there's no question and as i've said before uh i want to put biden harris over the over the top but That's not the only thing we need to do, obviously. We've got a lot of work to do on foreign policy. We've got a lot of work to do on domestic policy as well. And if these uh, debates are any indication, and they should be, from an ideological standpoint, from a policy standpoint, they're really just illustrative of what we need to do as a society to, to move past some of these ossified positions. You know, just this discussion space that is so narrow and so prefabricated. It so advantages the right because they can call out liberals like Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. They can call them out. They can call them socialists. They can call them communists. They can accuse them of this and accuse them of that. Um, but all fought out on the ground of essentially reactionary politics and all Biden and Harris can do is sort of offer some kind of flaccid defense because they don't want to say, you know, well, I'm, I'm a leftist. I am a leftist. They're not, but they don't want to like, they don't want to challenge these sort of long established assumptions about, some of these core issues, Um, foreign policy, uh, you know, like policy towards Iran being one of them. Um, Nobody wants to get into that conversation on a national level because they feel like they're going to come out on the wrong side of it. They have a lot of convincing to do. It's easier just to kind of go along with it and, you know, sort of steer policy in a more reasonable fashion. Now that's a frustration. I find that very frustrating, but that's that's just something that we're going to need to work on, right? We're going to need to find a way to build consensus on some of these issues to get us back out of being the imperial hegemon that we've become and strangling other countries, forcing them into complying with our policy preferences, it's, it's simply unacceptable. We just need to do better. That was my take on the debate. <laughs> and that's all I got for this week. I'd like to hear what you have to say. Why don't you let me know what you thought of that debate, what your thoughts are on some of these issues? Am I being clear about what I mean by, you know, the sort of national consensus, um, the discussion space that we're, we're sort of limited to in these debates? I'm not sure that I'm being all that clear in my exposition of this. Um, if I'm not, you know, give me some feedback. Go to anchor.fm slash strange sound and leave a voicemail. You can also find links to our uh, to my uh, <laughs> our Got a mouse in my pocket to my social media properties, my Twitter feed, which is at Strange Sound Pod. You can IM me or you can tweet at me. Uh, you can talk to me or follow me on Facebook. Um, the link is at anchor.fm slash Strange Sound, is where you can find a link to our Facebook page. Uh, you can also find our uh, Strange Sound site via big-green.net. Just click on podcast and you'll see a big image link for Strange Sound. Just follow that and you'll find the show. Please share it. Please like it. Please tell other people about it. And uh, talk to me. I'd like to hear from you. This has been Strange Sound, episode 32. Great speaking with you once again. We'll see you next time.